What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada Sports Betting Podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, a full, and I mean full, recap from a profitable NFL Sunday. How we did with the contest plays, the great success of the teaser bucket, and how the money line bucket informs Monday night's bets. Plus what really happened in these games that creates value for week two. We're on to Cincinnati at Cleveland. Finally, we're not forgetting about the other sports, NHL, NBA, MLB, pennant race bets, and why I'm an idiot, college football edition. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. Wow, that was fun. NFL football is back. And I didn't want to be Deborah Downer uh, over the weekend, but I, I kept feeling like it was going to be the same situation that happened back in March, where I was so excited about college basketball. The conference tournaments were just getting going. We were just getting into quarterfinals of some, and they literally were pulling guys off the court, and different tournaments were being canceled left, right, and center. And I just was like, let's just get these guys on the field and playing before I can believe that it's actually going to happen. Because the way you know news has sort of popped up at any given time, canceling games for a variety of reasons, right? It just felt like I needed to see it to believe it. But it was back. The play on the field was actually pretty decent. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't really miss fans. Uh, there was some <laughs> noise pumping into the stadium situations that were a bit aggressive. Calm yourself down, Atlanta. Uh, that game was almost unwatchable, at least for the feed that I had. Um, so awesome. Awesome that the NFL was back and had a great week. Uh, and of course, we're going to talk about that. And, you know, it's another season. Uh, and for me, I just need to talk about one thing real quick here. And for me, I'm looking at my timeline on Twitter, and there's just more and more new media, new sports betting media, people telling you how many bets they want and giving out bets and giving out advice and that and all of that. And while that's, it's nice to see, like if I had said, say, five years ago, you know, would you love to see this many people talking about the NFL and sports in general from a betting context? I would be like, yeah, that's amazing. But here we are five years later, and it's really frustrating all of a sudden. And I don't get paid to do this, okay? I get paid on bets that I make. Maybe one day that will happen and I'll get paid to do this as well. But right now, I feel like it's a void in the space with, and you know, I'm loath to sort of shout out names and call people down, but like I, it, I see this stuff and it drives me crazy. And sort of, you know, the biggest name in all of this is, you know, the ringer type people, the Cousin Sal's of the world, okay? And I love listening to Cousin Sal and Bill Simmons talk about football. Like, it's really, really fun the way they do it. However, they're horrific at betting. Horrific. And they are horrific bettors. And what I mean by that is they 
give out some of the worst advice I could possibly imagine. And it's not just them. So I'm, I, it sounds like I'm singling out sort of the top, you know, the most popular people in the media, so to speak. But I am only because those are the ones you've probably heard of. And the other ones maybe you haven't heard of, but you might stumble into at some point. And my concern is that you stumble into them and then you find out or you don't find out really that they don't know what they're talking about. And and it isn't just as simple as, oh, like, well, I like the Seahawks, you like the Falcons, Seahawks one, you're an idiot. That's not what we're talking about here. I'm talking about giving out positive expected value bets and not giving out parlays that have adjusted prices and adjusted point spreads and then only sort of tweeting them after the fact and all of that garbage, right? Win or lose, I'm going to give you what I've got before we start, before the games kick off, hopefully in plenty of time for you to make your own decisions because by and large, you're going to do your own thing here, right? You're going to come here, you're going to find you know, some advice helpful and probably a bunch of stuff that isn't all that helpful and maybe some stuff that rings true and then maybe a bunch of stuff that doesn't ring true. But you're going to make your own decisions, right? And when you win, you are going to give yourself credit for that. And when you lose, you're probably going to look for someone to blame. And that's okay. That's how human beings work. And I'm completely fine with that, right? But for me, you know, when I see these guys and they're giving out this these pieces of advice or it's not even advice, right? It's just sort of their own sort of tricked up uh, betting plays. And it just really makes me sad for the industry, right? Because I care about the industry because I've been an advocate for this for such a long time that eventually I know I said, all right, listen, I'm going to do it on my own here if nobody else is able to do it. And listen, I'm not saying I'm the only one doing it correctly out there. There's plenty of people who are doing it correctly. I'm just saying I'm the only one who can control any of this stuff. So, you know, while they're giving out stuff that might win on a given day, it has a negative expected value long term and they're going to lose long term. And so you're going to lose if you are following their advice long term term and they can afford it right cousin sal is going to be fine bill simmons is a basically a billionaire at this point they're going to be fine again i'm using them as an example but like there are plenty of others i just don't want to give them the sort of shine that would send you over there to see what they're doing and the guests that they these different shows have on because a lot of times they're sponsored by a sports book and listen i'm not saying i would never be sponsored by a sports book that could happen tomorrow for all i know but i'm not going to change i'm still going to try to beat that book that i am sponsored by and so you know they're giving these out they're teasing through zero, right? Like, again, I'm not even saying which team or this team or that team, but if you're teasing through zero, you are doing it wrong. Fundamentally, you are doing it wrong. I don't care if the bet wins, you are doing it wrong. If you are paying extensive amounts of juice to buy points, right, to move something from six and a half down to three and a half, you are doing it wrong. You might win because you did that. You might win in, the, in some cases, even if you didn't do that, right? And you're giving away money from this, from that standpoint. And listen, sportsbooks offering up boosts and bonuses is great. But when it creates this promotional element of people trying to sell you on how great they are, but the odds are all askew, I'd love to take advantage of those odds, but we can't all take advantage of those odds. And so something at plus 200, because it's been boosted up from a promotional standpoint, 
if I don't have that and I have to pay minus 120 or plus 110 or whatever it is less than plus 200, it becomes much worse of a bet, right? So I'm going to make a promise to you here. I promise it won't always be this easy. We are not going to have the weekend that we just had, the Sunday that we just had. I promise they'll be losing Sundays. I promise they'll be losing weeks. But I promise that everything that I give out to you will have rationale behind it and it will be positive EV. And I know what that means. A lot of people out there don't know what that means. Positive expected value. And when the losing stretch happens, even though it hasn't yet, right? Hopefully you've been around for the NHL, right? Crushing it in the qualifying round, the first round, the second round. I'll be here to talk about all of this when it won't be all roses, right? And we'll work through it and we'll get to the other side. Because it bothers me to see people buy into what the new sports betting media is giving you. You're doing it right. You're here. Maybe not the ground floor, but you're pretty low enough on the elevator that it's only going up from here. And you're going to be able to learn enough to where you'll see this stuff the way that I do. And you're going to get there maybe even before that I do. And you're going to be able to see all of this bullshit and laugh and probably do a better job at just laughing at it than I am. So let's talk about some NFL football. Glad to have it back. Sorry I had to get that out of the way. So let's kind of go game by game and see where there might be, um, you know, some of the scores that weren't necessarily indicative of anything that really happened on the field. Uh, we'll start in the AFC East, kind of going backwards from you know, finishing off in the AFC East with my previous section. And Miami and New England, right? It was kind of, <laughs> for all of the talk about like, I don't really know what to expect and this could go either way and who knows what the Patriots are going to be up to, who knows what the Dolphins are going to have for us. It was really as close to the mean, sort of the, you know, the median, the most expected result that we could possibly get, wasn't it, right? Like the Pats offense, was exactly how it, we thought it was going to look with Cam Newton, you know, running a run-heavy offense, taking advantage of that run-heavy offense to do some work through the air, not a ton necessarily. The Pats defense, even with all of the opt-outs, was still quite strong, right? The Patriots were efficient and they did things the way you're supposed to do things and they got just enough points to have what was a relatively comfortable win, right? And you know, we can sort of judge these kinds of things by the fact that it, if you had a teaser on the Dolphins, you won. If you had a teaser on the Patriots like we did, you won. So it was close enough to that initial point spread where, you know, like it wasn't that wild of a result, right? We wasn't, oh yeah, Patriots by 40. Oh man, the Dolphins look great and they won. It was right about where you would expect. And we may have overthought it thinking that it could be sort of this wild, extravagant, who knows which way it could go type of thing. From a gambling standpoint, kind of a bad beat on Miami, if we're being honest, right? Not necessarily if you had New England minus six and a half, but as that number crept up to seven and then seven and a half, that became a bad beat when the Dolphins get it into the red zone, 
down 10 and you get into that point of the program, right? All the video game guys know what I'm talking about here. Do you kick, when do you kick the field goal? All right, you need a field goal at some point, right? Do you wait till fourth down? There was just enough time on the clock where it was like, okay, let's take all of our shots here. Uh, and that being said, you're literally, if you have the Dolphins, you're going, just don't turn it over. No interceptions, no fumbles, you know, play it out, get to fourth down and then kick the field goal and let's try the onside kick. And of course, Ryan Fitzpatrick throws the interception. He does what Ryan Fitzpatrick does. And they lose by 10. And so, you know, again, all about grabbing the number. If you're at, you know, minus six and a half there, you're thinking the same way, really. You're like, let's just kick the field goal and move on. So you had sort of opposite sides kind of cheering for the same thing. And hopefully, you know, you would only take New England minus six and a half. If it goes to seven, especially given all the time that you had to bet minus six and a half, if it goes to seven, you can't bet that. Certainly, you can't bet minus seven and a half. So again, if you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, no, I actually bet minus seven and a half and I won, right? Like, let's slow down on the patting yourself on the back here. You made a bad bet, if we're being completely honest. Now, bad bets win all the time, and a lot of times maybe even more so, good bets lose. So um, feeling a little bit bad for the Miami plus seven and a halfers out there. You deserved better, especially given that that game was well within that inside that number uh, throughout much of it up until a late Pats touchdown. Uh, along the same lines in that division, right? Buffalo and the Jets. The score here flatters the Jets. Anybody who is sort of watching that game, especially early on, those of us particularly who had Buffalo in Survivor, uh, you know, I talked about how I would love to have Buffalo minus six and a half. I'd love to tease them down, but I just can't do it given the fact that we're looking at a week one Survivor pick. I'm responsible for, you know, that first pick in our Friends of the Podcast entry, right? I'm responsible for not only just other people, but publicly for other people. So I was really nervous of all the bets. Like that one was, and it wasn't even technically a bet, that one was the one I was most worried about losing because of everything that's involved. So they end up getting there easily. Buffalo goes up 21-0 and was driving to make it either 24 or 28 to nothing before turning it over. And so the score in general flatters the Jets. And it just goes to show, you know, the Jets tease got there. Now, I'm not saying you should have... Uh, bet the Jets on the T's at plus six and a half to bump it up to 12 and a half. That's not a particularly positive expected value T's piece. Buffalo certainly was. And I'm not just saying that. And after the fact, I talked about it last week. And so, you know, it just goes to show like it doesn't take all that much to kind of come back and backdoor a large spread, right? In this case, plus 12 and a half um, on the T's line. And so, you know, we look at the Bills and we go, okay, the offense looked really good. Like, this is an offense that should gain some yards. Uh, surprised to see how well Josh Allen did through the air. Pleasantly surprised, admittedly, but surprised nonetheless. Uh, but he was still a little bit sloppy, right? Turning the ball over, a lot of sketchy fumble moves, that kind of thing. And, you know, I'm going to keep harping on it as it sort of proves me to be correct because it is kind of so dumb. But the kicker thing. Right, we got the Bills coming out here. No more veteran kickers. It's rookie kicker 
season for the Bills, and this guy was a mess, right? Couple of misses for, uh, I believe it was Bass is his name. I'm not even familiar with him from you know college. And he misses a couple, so that allows the Jets, not back into the game necessarily, but certainly that's what got them the tease cover there. So for me, going forward, you know, I think it actually creates some value fading the Jets because if people are looking at the numbers there, I don't think they're understanding just how terrible the Jets were in the first half. So, um, you know, we'll sort of address that going forward. As for the Bills, you know, again, is this going to be a situation where we look back and go, well, it was a home game against one of the worst, if not the worst teams in the league? Uh, how much can we really take away from it? Or, you know, we were really misled with how good they were, right? Are they going to move the ball with that level of ease in their next game, right? I don't know that that's necessarily going to be the case. So um, got out of dodge there with a survivor victory, which was nice. And, you know, if you're not involved in survivor, though, I imagine most of you are in some sort of survivor pool, if not the big one down uh, in Las Vegas, um, you know, nice to get that out of the way, right? Getting Buffalo off the list isn't exactly, you know, using Kansas City or Baltimore in the first week. So a little bit of a heads up um, on people from that standpoint. Uh, elsewhere in the one o'clock games, Green Bay, Minnesota, what an offensive explosion after a sort of sluggish start. Uh, it was 8-7, with what four minutes left i think in the second quarter and then green bay gets two quick touchdowns to sort of stretch it out and from there it just goes to show sort of what game script can do to a total right like a little bit of separation there and all of a sudden things go haywire as minnesota has to take a lot more chances on offense and defense and they sort of add some points at the end and you know the the vikings that probably that score probably looks a lot better than what the Vikings actually were. Because you had them down two, three touchdowns, and I'm not sure Kirk Cousins had completed 10 passes at that point. In fact, I'm pretty sure he hadn't. And so this offense for the Vikings looks to be taking a major step back. That being said, right, the Packers weren't exactly stout once things opened up a little bit. So I think both of these teams, to be honest with you, are still kind of pretty bad, um, or at least a lot worse than maybe... You know, certainly worse than last year. And although we were kind of on top of it um, as far as a regression for both teams, like one of those teams had to win, right? And whether it was going to be an 8 7 victory or a 38 24 victory, whatever the score ended up being, right? Like somebody had to win. So in theory, somebody has to look good there. But I just don't think that the Packers' offense is all of a sudden, you know, going to be hitting on all cylinders here, kind of no matter who they play. Uh, and definitely not a great sign for Minnesota, though hopefully getting that many points at least makes people think that this Minnesota team is actually decent. And so going forward, you know, probably still a team that we're fading. Uh, actually, both teams are probably teams that we're fading going forward. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, like the Devontae Adams touchdown and the review and not overturning that, and it sort of speaks to a bigger picture of, I think this season, we're going to see a lot less reviews being overturned or calls being overturned via review, right? And so we went from last year where we're reviewing everything, we're reviewing PIs and doing a bad job with that. I feel like this year, this sort of thing is, look, we're glad we're out here playing. Let's not 
overturn a ton of stuff unless it's blatantly obvious. Like you had a touchdown for Cam Newton that was to me pretty obvious that he didn't get into the end zone. I mean, it would have been at the one inch yard line, so it doesn't really matter from that standpoint. I'm not saying that it changed the game or anything. I'm just saying like this stuff seems like in the past it would be overturned and they're just kind of going with it here. And I just want, I don't know if that's because they just want to get these games over with and they don't want to have people think you know, they want to have people think, you know what, we probably shouldn't bother, you know, challenging this because it's not going to get overturned anyway, just to kind of move things along here. And I don't really, you know, honestly hate that strategy necessarily, though I might once it starts, you know, backfiring against us. Uh, elsewhere in the NFC North, Detroit and Chicago. Oh boy. Okay. So this one was fun, right? I love the Lions. I love the Lions going into the season. Um, based obviously on all the stuff that I talked about last week. Go back and check that out so I don't have to repeat myself. But the point is, I love the Lions going in this season. Then all of a sudden, right, they come with a bunch of injuries on the injury report, right? Not just Kenny Galladay, which was sort of the first big question mark, but Jeffrey Akuda and a handful of other guys, especially on the defense. And, you know, people are sort of going, okay, Trubisky, does he have some new mojo? Like he won the job, they've got confidence in, in him and all that kind of stuff. And then he comes out in the first half and is pretty much Trubisky, right? He's pretty bad. And so, you know, you're going, wow, listen, Detroit could still beat this team even even sort of with half their team out. And I sort of tweeted that out because I'm just looking for Chicago to get back in to the to backdoor the T's number at plus eight and a half. Like I'm not looking for Chicago to win. I'm not looking for them to cover even the two and a half. I'm just like, let's get the back door here so we can keep this T's alive. And so sure enough, Chicago comes all the way back and takes the lead. And then of course Detroit comes all the way back on them and they had the game won, right? DeAndre Swift has the ball in his hands. All he has to do is catch it. And he drops it, right? Rookie in his first game, that's going to be a nightmare for him. And hopefully for him, that just leads to a ball security focus, whether it's, hold, you know, rushing the ball or whether it's, you know, out of the backfield. Um, but for me, this creates some value fading Chicago. And, you know, hold your breath here, hold your nose. But I think it creates value betting on Detroit going forward. Right, because they were the much better team. They are can they can only really get healthier from here. Knock on wood, right? Like not factoring in you know that Matt Stafford could get injured at any given point. But you know you're looking ahead right now. For me, I'm looking at Chicago minus five and a half against the Giants next week. I mean, the Giants haven't played. We don't know what they'll what we'll see from them um, tonight. But <laughs> I don't know if I would be laying five and a half with the Bears based on what I just saw, right? So if you think the Giants are even going to be kind of good and you can grab that five and a half or maybe there's some rogue sixes out there on sort of a look ahead, I would definitely do that. And then Detroit is now a five and a half point underdog at Green Bay. And we've seen how well they play against Green Bay the last couple of years. And again, for me, if we could get six there, I certainly don't think we're going to get to seven. But if we get six and even, good Lord, six and a half, that for me are both sort of, you know, counterintuitive, uh, you know, however you want to call it type of plays that, you know, a lot of people see that score, see that Detroit blew the game, right? But none of that has anything to do with the fact that their opponent 
in Detroit, you know, Detroit's opponent's going to have to cover six points or that Chicago's going to have to cover six points this weekend, right? All that tells me is both of these teams love to play a close game, right? And are about league average and, you know, the ball is going to bounce one way or another, right? And it doesn't necessarily take me off of Detroit from winning the division. Obviously, it hurts from a standing standpoint, but it's not like I saw anything from Detroit and was like, oh, like this team's not any good, right? They should have won that game. They should have won that game a couple of different times. So um, that's what I'm taking from that necessarily. Uh, let's move on. Indy and Jacksonville. How about the Jacksonville Jaguars and their little tanking effort here? right? Talked about it all week last week, all the way back to Tuesdays with Ted and the AFC South preview, and me talking him in, or trying to talk him into, we'll see next time we speak with Ted, whether I actually talked him into it, but talking him into the Jags against the Colts. Now, that's very easy, or a lot easier to say when the number was plus eight, eight and a half even, uh, at some, at one point in some locations, and so, you know, again, this isn't a team that players and the coaches aren't tanking because if they tank, they're going to get fired, right? So they're not doing that. So the so the fact of the matter is, okay, well, how do they succeed? Well, they ex succeed by having an efficient Gardner Minshew who doesn't try to do too much. When Gardner Minshew gets loose out there, when he gets down, it's a problem, right? Because he just starts slinging things around and it gets super aggressive. He went 19 of 20 yesterday. Now it was only for 170 some odd yards, but he dropped in nice passes in the red zone to convert touchdowns, right? And we talked a little bit about how, you know, the kicker is really important for the Jags in keeping these big numbers, you know, in 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 reach essentially for even just a potential backdoor here. But when you're converting in the red zone, you don't have to rely on the kicker and these games are 7-7 and 14-14 and so on and so forth, right? That's great because, you know, instead of being 14 and 14 to 6 and being right on the number, it's 14-14 and it was really by and large, you know, not all that stressful from a spread standpoint. And then they go and they win the game outright, which is kind of the bonus that we're looking to get when we talk about the money line parlay bucket, right? Now I'm the idiot that took them out of the bucket on Sunday. Now I say that like, you know, listen, I've I put five teams in the bucket, right? That's how it works. You put five teams in the bucket and you're round robbing them uh, three teams at a time for all five. And on Friday, I talked about how the Jags were in the bucket and that they were in the bucket with Arizona and that they're in the bucket. Um, who is the other big upset? Uh, I'm blanking right now. Uh, but there was another big upset that, that, oh, Washington, of course. Washington, you know, they're in the bucket with Washington. They're in the bucket with Arizona. And if you throw those together in a three-team parlay as part of this round robin, you killed it. Hopefully somebody out there did it. Let me know if you did. I'm the idiot who took J Jacksonville off in part because, again, this first week of Survivor and being this deep into a Survivor pool for really the first time in my life, right? Like normally I'm in for the $10, $20, $50 Survivor pool. We're talking about a $500, you know, $1,000 altogether with all of the investors and the friends of the podcast. But we're talking about a pretty extensive Survivor pool, especially emotionally with this on my shoulders. And so, you know, I look and I see the most popular play is the Colts. And I go, wow, it'd be really nice if they got knocked off. And, you know, do I really need extra incentive to sort of hope that the Jags can pull off an upset that, to be honest with you, I didn't really think was going to happen. It just seemed possible given the fact that I thought the line was too high and thus the money line was too high, right? As we talked about, always comes back to value, not necessarily what you think is going to happen. So 
Again, I take them out of the bucket. Hopefully somebody hit that. Great news is 450 some odd people got knocked out of a 1300 person uh, million plus dollar survivor pool. So all in all, that's pretty awesome. Um, the running backs were good enough for the Jags so that Minshew could be efficient. And then from the Indy standpoint, Rivers was good, but he was Riversy. Right, he was efficient. He had, a, you know, a, his yards per attempt was high, and then he just turned the ball over at inopportune times. And you could make the point, and I'm here for it, that that's what Phil Rivers does. Right, that's what he does. That's why he's a Hall of Fame quarterback who drives everybody crazy and has lost more than a few survivor entries over the years with the Chargers and now first game with the Colts. Welcome to Indianapolis. That being said, he was really good. And if he can just not turn the ball over, again, we know this all the time. And so that does actually, for me, create some value on Indianapolis here going forward in a matchup against Minnesota next week, right? We have, you know, when I sort of talk about from a week-to-week -week basis, if you get into your into a... Uh, a slump, so to speak. You have a bad weekend, you have a bad couple of weekends. My sort of first advice in the NFL for people is literally just go write down who covered this past week and then just bet all the teams that didn't cover the very next week, right? Because just by definition, you're going to get value. You're going to get a few extra points on those sides, on the sides of those teams, I should say the very next week, right? And you're not going to get yourself blown out because not, you know, the entire league isn't going to cover in back-to-back -back weeks. So, you know, while that's sort of a big picture thought and these teams both lost in the first week and neither of them covered, I think they both did it in very different ways when you look at the box score, right? And so you've got, you know, the Colts here at minus three, how many people are really going to be willing to lay those points with the Colts in, you know, after seeing what the situation was here where they lost to the quote-unquote lowly Jags, right? But if you are us and you're of the opinion that the Jags aren't as bad as people think, right, then that loss isn't as bad as people think. And thus, the number is a little bit more fair this coming week. And right now, it's Indy minus three. If we could somehow get that off of three and get it, you know, somewhere at some point this week down to minus two and a half, that would be outstanding because I think the Colts headed back home is a different situation. Same thing with the Vikings going on the road. Now, again, home field advantage is what that is. I'm just saying, even if there isn't sort of a home field advantage in a game, like singular game basis, I mean, I think there is when we're looking at teams that are going from playing at home to going on the road and vice versa, in that the teams that are on the road, once they get home, they're not going to look necessarily as bad as they did this week. And there's going to be a couple of instances of that, obviously a ton of instances of that. And when you're talking week two handicapping, right, like to me, that's a really big factor on not judging a team harshly because they went on the road and didn't look great. And at the same time, don't overvalue a team because they look good at home in week one. So just a piece, a nugget there, even if that doesn't apply this season, you know, let's throw that in the back of our minds for next season, right? Because we're all going to be around next year and we're all going to be still looking for winners um, next year on week two. So uh, again, like, you know, if they want to keep giving out double digit spreads here, or at least high spreads, this one obviously wasn't, didn't, never got to double digits, but you've got Jacksonville as 10 and a half point underdogs here this week to Tennessee. Now we haven't seen Tennessee go 
you know, and obviously with a late Monday, that's going to be short preparation. And you're going to ask that team to cover a spread that high, right? Like another situation, I think, where we're going to be back on Jacksonville. Again, we're not zigging and zagging here uh, because Jacksonville covered, obviously. But in this case, the market maybe isn't necessarily adjusting. So if Tennessee wins comfortably, we might get a point or two extra here tonight. Uh, if not, right, it might dip below 10. And it sort of depends on you know, what level of import you put on these key numbers and specifically 10, right? So if it's 10 and a half now or even 10 and, you know, you want to get 11, how important is that to you, right? Is it more important to just get the 10 or the 10 and a half now and, you know, worry about, oh, like if it gets to 11, okay, that's fine. But do you want that to drop down to nine if Tennessee doesn't do as well as people think, right? Because they're a pretty popular pick tonight against Denver. So for me, I'd rather just lock in that double digits because that 10 is a relatively key number. And if it goes to 11 and it lands on 11, right? These are two things that are pretty sort of an unlikely parlay that it goes to 11 and it lands on 11. So for me, if you can get 10, 10 and a half, I would lock that in now, right? And these are the types of bets that we need to be, you know, making here early in the week versus later in the week. Now we're going to sort of lean a little bit more to later in the week in general because of COVID and all of that kind of stuff. Who knows, right? Another round of testing. Who knows what's going to happen with teams, you know, after the game, did they go out? Did they get a little loose? You know, who's to say? So, um, that's the situation for that. I'd rather jump on Jacksonville early to get that double digits locked in. Uh, Washington and Philadelphia. The defensive line for Washington was the key here. And it was before the game started, right? Where you've got the Eagles offensive line that is banged up and a defensive line in Washington that is their strength. And sure enough, even though in the first half, the score wasn't great, right? Dwayne Haskins having a rough go of it. Philly was scoring points, but Carson Wentz was getting beat up by that defensive line. Now, he was able to fight through it to get a couple of touchdowns. And, you know, you got a 17-0 game, and you're going, oh, and you're looking at the line for Haskins. And he was one of the few props, player props, that we didn't cash. Again, went 10-3 and in player props. He was one of the three because, it, you know, he basically took the first half off from accumulating yards. And so he has a rough go of it. The Eagles look I don't want to say they look good, but they're scoring points here and they're up 17 to nothing. And then it wears on the Eagles though, right? And they the D-line starts getting to Wentz that half second quicker and to the tune of eight sacks. And so Washington ends up coming back, getting turnovers and getting the win outright, which is incredible again for the bucket. But... You know, what do we take from this going forward, right? For me, obviously, from a Philly standpoint, this offensive line is a massive issue. And anytime they play somebody with a decent defensive line, this is the type of thing that could happen. For Washington, you go 3.4 yards per play on offense. Yikes, right? And so when the defense carries them to this win, you go, is that going to, how's that going to apply going forward? And they're now going to Arizona. So you have a team that's going from home to road, Cross country, whose key to their winning games is their defensive line. Well, you know who's also has a really good defensive line? The San Francisco 49ers. And it didn't do them really any all that good against Arizona this past week, 
even at home. And so for me, I think this Washington win has created value on Arizona, even though they're also coming off of a win, because this line right now is only minus seven. Now, of course, that means we're dying to get minus six and a half, though I don't believe we'll ever actually get that. But for me, this is a value spot on a favorite here, which we're, we're going to see a few times, right? Finding value isn't necessarily all about finding an underdog. And so Arizona is now firmly in the mix for a potential survivor pick for me. And because, you know, Washington gets the win, do you really expect Washington to start the season 2-0 and against teams that they're certainly not better than, that they're roughly a touchdown underdog to? I don't. Do you expect Dwayne Haskins to be better on the road in Game 2? I don't. Uh, do they have the weapons to take advantage of, you know, the Cardinals, you know, where the Cardinals aren't great on defense? No, not really. And so for me, I think this one could get ugly down in the desert this week. Um, that being said, you know, again, same, same, similar situation, right? Do you want to just grab the seven on the fear that it goes to seven and a half? Or do you want to see if we can find a, you know, even some slightly juice, like a minus six and a half, minus 115, something along those lines? That would be cool. But Arizona is certainly going in the teaser bucket this week against Washington. Uh, Cleveland and Baltimore, not a ton to talk about in this one, to be honest with you, because that game got away so quickly and because the Washington-Philly game got interesting, I switched that one off from screen number four. Uh, and so I'll have to sort of throw that on at some point over the week. Uh, what I am seeing here is Cleveland with six turnovers when you factor in fourth down conversions that weren't uh, created. And so, again, I'll have to watch it, and we'll maybe get into this. We definitely will get into this because Cleveland's got the quick turnaround into Thursday, Thursday night at home, right? And so they're going road to home. And they're going against a good from a good team that they faced, a great team really in Baltimore, to a pretty bad one still in Cincinnati. So we'll talk about Cincinnati here shortly. But for me, right? Well, I think I can kind of you can kind of figure out where I'm leaning on this. So um, let's get into the actual you know big plays here, right? The Circus Sports Contest, the Big Five, um, the two one o'clock games, uh, Las Vegas and Carolina. And this game kind of was exactly how it plays out, uh, how we thought it would play out. And that's that can be frustrating because we use this in the contest. You know, it's one of our biggest bets of the day, and it doesn't get there. And, you know, on the surface, obviously, we're, we're, we lost. We're losers. We're losers on this one. That being said, you know, well, what really happened in this game? We knew a couple of different things going in. We knew this was going to be an offensive <laughs> bonanza, right? And not because the offenses are particularly great, right? Pre two pretty similar quarterbacks, really, in Derek Carr and Teddy Bridgewater, right? None, neither guy really looking to like wail it down the field, um, a little bit more conservative. But the key was the defenses both stink, or at least we thought they did, and I'm not sure that we were disproven. And so both teams basically marched it up and down the field on each other. I haven't looked this up, but I don't. I literally don't remember anybody punting at any point. So it was really came down to: did you do you get a field goal or do you get a touchdown? And so even beyond that, it really be from a spread standpoint it came down to: did you make your extra points when you scored those touchdowns? And so right off the bat, first touchdown of the game for Carolina, they go ahead and they miss. They get a missed extra point from Joey Sly. And, you know, we talked about it. Again, I hate, you know, in a way I hate sort of how 
um, not obvious, but how much of this stuff ended up ringing true, especially when it comes to the kicker stuff, because, you know, I talked about Joey Sly and how the guy bombs him, right? Eight out of 11 from long distance last season, over 40 yards, and he hit another one yesterday, but 88.6 on the extra points. And, right, that doesn't seem like a huge, you know, disaster. But again, he goes and he misses the extra point. Now, that informs the rest of the game because then they start chasing, right? They have to go for two down 11 instead of just being able to kick the extra point down 10. And, you know, they don't get, you know, they don't get that. So now they're down five and then they get the next touchdown and they go for two and they get that. So they're even up there, but they're still one point behind the general situation. And so... Right, Carolina's up three, and then Oakland goes down. They get the touchdown. They get the extra point, so they're up four. So instead of being up four when Oakland scores that touchdown, they're only up three, and so now they're down four instead of being down three. Carolina drives the field again. They get fourth and inches, and they've got the best running back in the league who can catch every pass you throw to him if you want to do that. He can catch pitches and run over guys and run around guys. He can, you know burrow his way into a line to get a yard or so and Matt Rule and Joe Brady come up with a fullback dive for from a guy whose name I still don't even know and so we welcome them to the NFL the long tradition of NFL coaches overthinking what they're doing and so between obviously having that point go against us and the extra point early on in a game that we know is going to go back and forth, right? And we talk about these, these uh, prices and these spread moves and stuff. It's not because we know what's going to happen, right? We don't know that one team's going to kill, kill the other team or this one's going to be close. It's so that we have the most opportunities to win, right? So that we win if Carolina wins by four, if they win by three, if they win by one, if Oakland wins by one. If Oakland, you know, wins by three, we get a push. But it was just that one extra thing, that one extra result, that one result that goes our wrong, goes the wrong way for us, that ends up getting us at the end. Because if they're down three, you know, I don't know, maybe they kicked the field goal in that spot. It was still a really long field goal. They probably still go for it. And so at the end of the day, it comes down to, frankly, a bad coaching decision. And you shrug your shoulders, and it's and it's really frustrating because you're sitting over there, and Seattle is killing Atlanta, right? And Russ is cooking. They went for it on fourth and five, and they let him throw to DK Metcalf. This is the new evolution. This is the new addition, Bobby Brown, of the Seattle Seahawks offense. 31 out of 35. And could you possibly feel better about an MVP bet after week one than we do about our Russell Wilson? Now, the stats lie in this game. Atlanta out-yarded Seattle 506-383, but a ton of that was in garbage time. Jamal Adams, speaking of you know award-winning bets, Jamal Adams all over the field, 12 tackles and a sack, and the man is a safety, right? So he's getting it done as far as potential, you know, throw him in the mix for defensive player of the year from an Atlanta standpoint obviously they did the thing where they have to throw it around a ton three guys with nine receptions from a fantasy football standpoint Russell Gage no relation ends up being an option for people going forward so that's pretty wild um and so you're you know again frustrated about the Carolina thing but Seattle is killing it and so you're going man I really feel like that should have been a 2-0 and start instead of a 1-1 and start 
and you know that's fine I guess, right? You go like, okay, like, you know, we're trying to compete against 3,000 other people here. We need these games to go our way. From a general cash standpoint, you know, whatever. We'll sort of lose the unit, the big unit, and move on. But from a contest standpoint, like, that's one that feels like it should have gone our way once the Plinko chips kind of stopped bouncing. So um, that's the story from the 1 o'clock games. As for the 4 o'clock games, right, two more big ones that we had in the contest. And the first one I'll talk about here is the Chargers and the Bengals. Because I inferred earlier about the Browns, right? And these Browns and the Bengals, of course, play on Thursday. And so we go, what really happened here in the Chargers game? And this is funny because we just watched the we just watched Rivers River away the game for the Colts. And now we're sitting there watching the Chargers charger away a game against the Bengals, right? Missed field goal. Stopped twice on fourth and incredibly short, even with the new, you know, attitude of Tyrod Taylor and being able to actually, you know, sneak the ball on fourth and inches. Maybe the Chargers offensive line over the years has just been really terrible at sneaking and that's why they haven't done it. So who knows? Um, but for me, the biggest takeaway here was Joe Burrow and not his play necessarily on the field, though. Obviously, that's part of it. But the reaction that people had and listen. I love Joe Burrow. I cashed 50 to 1 Heisman on Joe Burrow last year. Well, everybody had their thumb up their ass talking about Trevor Lawrence and other such guys, right? I was on the Joe Burrow train before anybody else, and I have the receipts to prove it. That being said, Joe Burrow was not good yesterday. Joe Burrow had roughly 88 yards midway through the fourth quarter in a game that the Chargers were openly trying to give the Bengals. And so this idea that, okay, the kid, you know, Randy Bullock, our boy Fat Randy, he goes and he misses the chip shot that would tie the game, you know, and A.J. Green gets called for a pass interference. That was pass interference, to be honest. He pushed off the guy and he caught the ball in a spot that the defender had no chance of, of defending based on the push. Like, it's not that complicated. And so... You know, it isn't, oh, too bad. oh, poor Joe Burrow, right? The idiot kicker missed the kick. Joe Burrow could have done something earlier in the game. Now, he had the nice run for a touchdown, and we thank him for that. He cashed our Joe Burrow rushing yards prop. Remember, 10 and 3, what's up? Um, but he wasn't good passing, and he threw one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen earlier literally on the previous drive and so i get that maybe people sort of tuned in a little bit late because the you know the new england new orleans game got boring or whatever but like i don't understand you know and maybe this game wasn't on red zone all that often right because you get the red zone people who swear by red zone listen it all sounds like a great concept but for me i need to be watching full games and they need to be doing it with multiple screens i got my own red zone right it's called a remote and it's called four screens and so you know I'm able to watch all every second of all of three of these games quite easily. And so, you know, I'm not disappointed in Joe Burrow necessarily. Again, he doesn't have a real great team in front of him. And especially from an offensive line standpoint, he's getting hit, knocked around pretty good, which again was part of the handicap. And so, again, importance of number, right? I, you know, we get the minus two and a half talked about on Friday. Talked about how just the fact that that line moved to two and a half off of three made me uncomfortable from a contest standpoint. And we get the push, which, you know, while you're watching the game, it's really frustrating because you feel like that's a game that the Chargers probably should win by two touchdowns. 
and they don't, and they're down for much of the game, and then they finally take a lead that, again, still felt like it could have been a touchdown late in the game on that field goal drive. And so you go, okay, I guess we're going to take the, the push here. That's fine. So this idea that somehow, like, the, the Bengals deserved better, I'm, I'm not buying that at all. And so now they go from home to road on a short week, on, in general, a situation that favors the favorite, right? The better team. The favorite is, you know, at like a 65% rate here over history on these Thursday night games. And so, again, a lot of people here, if they're thinking that the Bengals were better than they were yesterday, and they're thinking because Cleveland got beat up by the Ravens, which, by the way, is a completely reasonable result, Right? Where does that create value? To me, that creates value on the Browns. Now, it's kind of nauseating because it is the Browns, but there were some things that they did yesterday from an offensive standpoint that at least looked a little bit more organized. Now, it's tough to say given sort of what the numbers actually are, but again, we've got a, a buy low, sell high here, even on a team, you know, in the Bengals that probably shouldn't be. A, you know, shouldn't be high for that, <laughs> for that matter. So um, anyway, got the push there. So now we're one, one and one. And meanwhile, we're watching Arizona and San Francisco and even down 10 to nothing for me. And a lot of it is just sort of feeling. I just didn't feel all that worried about it because Arizona was able to move the ball on San Francisco's defense. And, you know, if you haven't checked it out, I mean, maybe you don't need to necessarily go back and check it out, but I'm doing every Thursday, I'm going on the On Blast podcast network with Sheldon Alexander. He hasn't figured out a name for the podcast just yet, um, but it's just essentially going to be an NFL show on Thursday where he sort of talks and, you know, bends my ear, if you will, about, you know, what the good bets are, what the bad bets are this week, what's the sucker bet, et cetera, et cetera. And it's going to be really fun because like, we literally went for almost two hours. He had to cut the show down quite a bit based on how much we were talking because we we're just super excited for week one in the NFL. And you had big picture and small picture and all of that kind of stuff. But my point is, is, you know, he's a San Francisco 49ers fan, right? And he asked me, like, like what's the deal? Like, like what can I expect from the 49ers, you know, of all the good teams coming back in this next season? What are the ones that you know, might take a step back. And I had to break it to him that for me, I felt like it was San Francisco. And the reason why is because when you rely on, you know, defense and your running game, those two things need to work hand in hand when you don't trust your quarterback, when you don't have that elite level quarterbacking, right? Where like Lamar Jackson can get you out of a problem, right? Patrick Mahomes can get you out of a problem. Russell Wilson can get you out of a problem, so on and so forth. But Jimmy G is not getting you out of a problem. He's not, you don't want to get into a shootout with Jimmy G. You can put up points with Jimmy G, but that's because your run game is killing it and your defense is killing it. And if one of those two things doesn't work, right? Think about it this way. If the defense doesn't work and now you're in sort of a higher scoring game, which this wasn't, this didn't, this game didn't end up going over, but it still kind of felt a little bit like a higher scoring game, except for the fact that like they had to kick a few more field goals than they, you know, normally would have liked to both sides. But if the defense doesn't work, now you're in a shootout and it's hard to be in a shootout in a high offense type game when you have to run the football, right? It just kind of doesn't work all that, that great. And if the run game doesn't work, 
right? Now you're in a Jimmy G has got to do more stuff type of a situation. And that's where you get yourself into maybe some turnover issues or some three and outs here. And the defense is back on the field a lot quicker and maybe potentially with some bad field position. And that puts stress on the defense. And now the defense, even if it's a good defense, is going to become just an okay defense. And so that's what the Cardinals were able to do. Now the Cardinals, before the season made a point of emphasis to run a fast-paced training camp. Run their offense in as fast as pace as possible because they want to be the, in the best shape of any team. And I think that bore pretty true, right? Where they had, you know, they came back in the second half. And so they were the much better team in the second half. They hung on as best as they could, right? Fourth down stop at the goal line against San Francisco. And so... You know, this Arizona team, I'm really, you know, I was somewhat skeptical, but when you when DeAndre Hopkins catching 15 balls and, you know, like Larry Fitzgerald is doing Larry Fitzgerald type thing, solid stuff. Drake, Kenya Drake wasn't, wasn't incredible by any means, but again, he was breaking enough tackles that he was turning, you know, one yard gains into seven yard gains. And so this team looks to me like really good. And again, I think we're getting a very good value here against Washington this coming week because you've got who I think is a really good team going against a really bad team. And if this was Washington going to Seattle or Washington going to San Francisco, isn't that number closer to 10? So again, to me, I think we just grab the minus seven and take our chances. But again, we'll have to deep dive, right? We got four different sports books to work with. We talked about that. And we'll try to figure out if there's any way to sort of get a minus six and a half that is a decent price. And so from you know a big picture standpoint on San Francisco, probably to be honest with you, if we think Arizona is better than people think, San Francisco is probably still pretty good. And I don't expect the Jets to give them the same issues with regards to playing at a high pace. I don't expect the Jets to have a guy catch 15 passes as one of the top receivers, if not the top receiver in the entire league. And so even though they're going on the road here, you got you have a San Francisco team that I certainly don't expect to go 0-2, right? Especially against this Jets team. And they're only giving seven points. So there seems to be a handful of games here where there's value on the favorite that we wouldn't necessarily have seen before the season. Now, I'm not, I don't have the look ahead line, the line from week two, you know, that was out there over the summer, but I imagine it might have been higher than seven for San Francisco going against the Jets. So, um, and then the final game. So, yeah, anyway, so we get that and we go two, one, and one. Final game in the afternoon, New England and New Orleans. Talked about how I wanted New Orleans minus three. Uh, never got there and actually shot up right before kickoff or essentially during the one o'clock games to four, four and a half even. And so it was a blessing when Tampa scored that first touchdown to bring the number right back down to a pick em. The adjusted live number was able to hop on that. Hopefully you grabbed that, tweeted it out. Um, you know, by the way, I should mention tweeted out Washington plus 10 and a half after they got down early. Uh, so two winners on the Twitter feed, even if you never listened to this podcast before and you just follow on Twitter, there's two winners right there for you. So, and then New Orleans literally just basically destroys them the rest of the, you know, functional part of the game, right? And Tampa has to kind of come back late. 
Uh, I talked about last week how my best bet or my favorite bet in this game, the bet that I would sort of make before the game started, was under 49. Problem is, it didn't go under 49 and I lost that bet, but as we sort of autopsy it, that's a lot of points for 581 total yards, much of which was in garbage time. So from a you know analytical standpoint, 4.8 yards per play and 4.1 yards per play, that game gets to 57 points on 581 yards, which is essentially obviously you know 10 yards per point. Right, that's not a sustainable number. So if you had told me going in that this thing would be 581 total yards, I would have just beat the hell out of under 49. So again, sometimes it's good that we don't know what the underlying metrics are, um, you know, beforehand, because I would have been in big, big trouble there. So long story short, is I end up, you know, profiting on the game thanks to that Tampa Bay early. Um, early touchdown because I'm just for me because I don't necessarily trust the totals as much as I do the spreads and the live betting stuff um, obviously had more on a uh, on a spread there in this case a pick them uh, with New Orleans plus 110 and so that takes us into the Sunday night game and we're two one and one on the contest and we've got Dallas and the Rams and what a wild spread move this was and so in a way I was right in grabbing the plus three in the contest because it closes uh, Rams minus one. But in another way, you know, I sound like an idiot talking on Friday about how I think that, you know, once public money comes in on Sunday night, that we could push that number up to three and a half potentially. And so I don't end up making a spread bet on it. Full disclosure, I didn't end up making a spread bet on it because I'm not going to take minus one when plus three was already there. I took the risk of thinking that I might be able to get plus three and a half and, you know, wasn't able to get it. And that's fine. That's the discipline that we need to show. I showed discipline in Thursday night's game by not betting Houston plus 10 minus 115. And I can show, you know, and I save myself some money there and I can show discipline and sort of cost myself some money. The good news is because the tease bucket was going so well, and because the Rams had dropped down under three and became eligible at plus two, plus two and a half for a six-point tease up through, you know, three, six, three, four, six, seven, eight, I teased them, and that was the fifth piece of the five-team teaser in the tease bucket, and so I didn't feel even the need to kind of force a bet on the Rams because I had a plus 500 rolling in with that five team tease. So that ends up getting there. And again, this one is similar to the Vegas Carolina game from a standpoint of, you know, not as high scoring, though it probably should have been higher scoring. You know, too bad for the folks who had the over in that one. You deserve better than that. That game was more of an over to me than the Tampa Bay New Orleans game. And so the thing is, right, like it sort of worked the opposite from Vegas and Carolina, where the number moves to a pick and which is probably where it should have been the whole time, right? Because again, that's a field goal game either way to me. And so if you're going to give a field goal, you know, the Rams are going to win or the people backing the Rams are going to win or push on all of the different options, right? Win by one, win by two, win by three, lose by one, lose by two, lose by three. You're going to be fine in all of those situations. And that's why when it moves to a pick you can't bet it because, again, this thing could go either way from a field goal standpoint. And that was the case with Oakland, Carolina. It just so happened that because of the extra point, it wasn't a field goal game. It was a four-point game, and it got outside of that, you know, three on either side number. So didn't bet it. 
but cash the the teaser that was great and finish the week three one and one in the contest which is nice because i would have signed anything you put in front of me to take three and two in week one i always will uh i've gone five and zero before in week one that's an incredible experience but by and large three and one and one is well beyond expectation right we're trying to stay above 60 percent here at or around 60 percent throughout the season so the fact that we can start with three and a half points out of five which is you know theoretically 70 percent fine with it let's just move on to next week i'll take another three and two if you want to give it to me um as we move forward so um that's a story with regards to obviously this past week um you know probably should mention right like the offensive pi in that game as well but all of that just comes back to the fact that you want to have as many numbers you know, the best number that you possibly can. Because even with that pass interference, maybe they kick a field goal, then it goes to overtime, and you still win or push on three out of the four options if it goes to overtime. So uh, again, you know, a lot of people who back Dallas could be like, oh, they should have called that thing. And I'm like, yeah, they, I mean, they probably shouldn't have called that. But that's the point. Like these things plinko their way down. Again, shout out Gil Alexander at beating the book. And you know, he's, he's all over it. Cause it's really like, yeah, it just comes down to that kind of stuff. And yeah, was Dallas going for the field goal or not going for the field goal when they were down three dumb? Yeah, it was dumb. And even the analytics crowd is like, who normally sort of lends itself to aggressive play and wanted the Rams to go forward on fourth down, by the way, uh, after that, but even the analytics crowd was like, um, no, that's that's a negative expected value move to go for it on fourth and three. And uh, so anyway, that's the story as far as Sunday's concerned. Glad to have it back, you know, like really, really great. Um, for me, going forward on Monday night's games, um, looking at the lines right now, I do like the Giants plus six. Uh, I replaced jacksonville money line with the giants money line what could possibly go wrong there right probably cost me uh, a couple units in that department so i essentially have what is now basically a pre-baked in money line bet on the giants tonight um so you know i'll grab the i'll grab the plus six i'll wait see if we can get six and a half uh, i'll do that and you know not for a ton necessarily small sort of base you know, as we sort of talked about the other day, level one, level two, level three, this level four, uh, this is certainly a level two for me. Um, and then the Tennessee Denver game, if this gets to three and a half, it qualifies as a level one spread bet for me, right? You just have to take the three and a half and hope that Denver's defense can compete uh, even without Von Miller and that their offense is you know, assuming Cortland Sutton's not going to play, haven't necessarily checked on that situation just yet. And to be honest with you, if he doesn't play, that's probably what pushes it to three and a half. Um, but again, you never know, right? And things are you know, are crazy, especially in Denver, right? Thin air, first game of the season, that whole song and dance. So, you know, again, that will be a base level bet. But nothing that happens tonight is going to sort of change the weekend, right? A lot of times you come to the Monday Nighter and you really, really like one side and you go and you had a certain type of a day on Sunday and you go, well, the whole weekend's coming down to this Monday nighter. And listen, if you had a rough one, please don't chase just for the sake of chasing. Don't just go, oh, Russell likes plus six here, or plus three and a half, and then just go ham with it, right? These are all sort of very basic, like I'm basically done for the NFL this weekend, but we're going to just kind of play some value here. Hope the Giants can beat the beat the Steelers, and that at least it's an interesting game here with Tennessee and Denver tonight. So um, plan for the rest of the week with regards to the NFL is, uh, you know, is what it always is, right? We'll 
talk about it sort of tangentially on Thursday. Friday will be the big show as far as talking buckets, talking uh, who we like, who the nominees are for Circa. Um, and then, of course, the big Sunday show where we lock everything down. Um, we're going to take a quick break here, and then we are going to talk about the other sports because there are some other things happening that are worth mentioning. Not going to take a ton of your time because I've already taken a ton as it is. And if you were just here for the NFL stuff, that's all there is from an NFL standpoint. But the other sports after this quick break. Let's take this quick break to talk about our friends over at Hundo P Productions. Are you struggling to grow your following or build your brand? Posting simple pictures or inspirational quotes or amateur selfie videos don't really do the trick anymore. Neil over at Hundo P Productions hooked me up with a couple of really fun videos for my podcast with Chad Millman from about a month, a month and a half ago. So contact Hundo P Productions to help boost your brand and get to the next level of video marketing. He does a great job over there. Reach them at www.hundopproductions.com or at Hundo P Prod on Instagram. Don't just post, inspire. Okay, other sports happened this past weekend. Hard to believe, I know. Um, I didn't watch a ton of them, to be <laughs> to be honest with you. Actually, on Saturday I did. I literally watched every sport you could possibly imagine on Saturday. Uh, but let's start with the NHL because that's sort of what brought us here, right? That's been the big bankroll builder here into the NFL season. And, you know, we've really enjoyed it. That being said, we just haven't had a ton to do here for, you know, these conference finals, right? Because we go in, we go, listen, I'm... Pretty damn sure the Tampa Bay is going to win this series, um, but from a value standpoint, we're not just going to keep plowing away here at these minus prices. I bet one game, talked about it, that was game three on the Islanders. We hit it, we quit it, and we're done, right? Almost got in on Tampa Bay yesterday, but really just kind of wanted to focus on football and you know, everything else was kind of secondary. And the last thing I wanted to do was sort of have a rough football day, flip over to find out the score of the Tampa game, and then somehow the Islanders had won, and I dropped a unit and a half on betting Tampa Bay. But then they end up getting there relatively easily um, anyway. So, you know, I fully expect them to sort of clean that up uh, in game five, but I also expect the price to be such that I'm not going to bet it. So, We'll see Tampa Bay once they make the Stanley Cup final, and we can sort of price all that stuff out. Normally, if it wasn't for the NFL and all of the other sports that were happening this past weekend, I would have crunched the numbers and we'd have a little mid-series autopsy from, uh, you know, based on all the analytics and what we've seen from these series. That being said, I don't think we really need to do that because, for one, Tampa Bay is what Tampa Bay is doing, and the Vegas-Dallas situation is as follows. I've been beating it down here, but again, if there's a bunch of new people checking out the show based on the success of the NFL this past week, I had Dallas and Vegas both in uh, Western Conference futures, right? So they both get there. I win money no matter what. It's just a matter of time, slowly waiting um, to get paid out for that. And I don't want to just start giving money back on a series that I've already profited from, right? I pre-profited. And so I didn't want to bet game to game and get into that position. Turns out if I had, it would have done quite well. And so that's why I talk about it the way I'm talking about it. Because if you know, if you want and if you don't have these positions already, you can take this information and bet it. So I talked about how Dallas was, you know, as a heavy underdog in the series, was ridiculous, right? Plus 200, plus 220, all of that kind of thing. That number 
out of control, ridiculous. So we have to make a bet on that, right? Do I necessarily think that they're going to win the series, pre-series? I didn't, right? I still have Vegas as the favorite, but at plus 220, that's a bet that needed to be made. Now, the money line in that game wasn't necessarily as valuable relative to the edge that my numbers were spitting out. And so I'm decided, okay, what I'm gonna do here is the most I'm gonna lose on this entire series is one unit, and I'm going to do it by playing back and forth on either side. So I played Dallas plus 220 out of sheer obligation. They go and they win. They go and they win game one, and that was outstanding, and now Vegas is about a minus 120 favorite. I bet on Vegas on the series price, not on the game price, right? So that even if Dallas wins game two, I still haven't lost anything just quite yet. Vegas goes and wins. So if you're listening to the podcast, you go, wow, he likes Dallas before the season, the, before the series start, I'll bet game one, boom, you win. Oh, he likes Vegas in game two, but he doesn't want to risk the, the heavy juice. I don't care about the heavy juice. Boom, you won that one too. Dallas, again, plus 220 again, even though it then becomes a five game series. I go, that's ridiculous. Come over the top on Dallas again. And now because I've already got these different positions, now it becomes a five to one. I've got Dallas five to one at that point. Boom, they win the game, game three, right? Now it's basically a coin flip, even money type of a series. I grab Vegas at plus 100, thinking that they're going to bounce back and win game four. And I can create, again, a synthetic number where Vegas is plus 500. If you need to know the number specifically, go back and listen to the podcast. Otherwise, you're just going to have to trust me on the math here. So I got now Vegas at plus 550 um, and going into game four. And so I'm watching game four and it's just annoying because Vegas just can't score. Like posts, uh, like a half second short on empty nets that they just need to tap the puck in. Five on three that they can't seem to figure out. Like they're just wailing away these one-timers where it's like if you just fake the one-timer, there's a guy standing on the other side of you know the net who you can slide a pass to who's going to have a tap in. Like just FYI. And by and large, they have the run of play, right? Uh, are the, the quote-unquote winner in the expected goals for and the you know expected power play goals for and all of that kind of thing. High danger chances, all of the metrics that we sort of um, evaluate. So if I did a full breakdown of this series from you know an analytics autopsy, uh, it would tell you that Vegas has been the better team, but not by a ton necessarily, probably by about 53 to 55 type percent, right? Without running the numbers and just sort of looking at them raw, like that's what it would tell you. Now, problem is Dallas ended up winning that game. They get the flukiest goal, or one of the flukiest goals imaginable, this side of Montreal versus Philly. Uh, they get the flukiest goal uh, to tie the game. And then, of course, they get, I believe, was a power play goal to get the game winner. And you sure shrug your shoulders. But the point of getting the Vegas plus 550 when they were down 2-1 to one was that even if they lost game 4 and go down 3-1, to one, that plus 550 is still actually a good value. Because if you look at the series price right now, even though they need to win the next three games, Vegas is basically plus 290. 300 depending on where you look which is obviously quite a bit lower than plus 550 now do i love the fact that the team i bet on needs to win the next three games no i don't but i do love the fact that i had a free shot essentially in game four to get a basically a team that is the better team to an even money 
price out in the market where I would be sitting at plus 550. It just didn't work out and that's fine. And listen, Dallas could win tonight and I end up dropping the unit and I get paid out on the Western Conference stuff anyway. And, you know, okay, that's fine. But uh, my goal was to go for the, a bigger score here using only a unit and trying to stay on the side of Vegas, who I think is the better team. And I think that's been borne out even with the deficit. So we'll see what happens tonight, right? No bets to be made necessarily. Um, but again, I think that Vegas wins tonight. And you can take that for whatever you want, right? I'm not recommending a bet on it because of the juice, but everybody's in their own specific position when it comes to this type of stuff. So um, that's the situation there. Just kind of riding this out, seeing what happens. It's, you know, a 3-1 series. So you know, not ideal, but it's not out of the question of, out of the realm of possibility that Vegas ends up coming back in this series. As for the NBA, right, we can go all the way back to Friday's action. Tough scene watching the Raps. And listen, I don't even really consider myself a Raptors fan necessarily, but I really respect, by and large, like what they did um, with getting Kawhi Leonard last year, with winning that you know, championship, and then doing what they've done this season in an effort to defend it, right? When he goes away, you could, you know, everybody sort of wrote them off, and then they had a better season than people thought they would, and even really a better regular season than they had the year before, and, you know, gave Boston, who by and large just has more weapons, right? And they gave them everything they could handle right to the end. Unfortunate kind of how it goes, the block, there's, you know, box out on a free throw, all of that kind of stuff. You know, and you make the case maybe they ran out of gas, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but point is, is we had Boston series price, right? Took us a couple of different routes to get back to where we were before the series. But at the end of the day, we were Boston plus 125, which, of course, was good value with the favorite going into game seven. And you just kind of had to ride that out. And the thing was, I'm watching that game late and I'm going, do I bet back on the other side on the Raptors? Because this is really annoying because I really felt like I wanted the Raptors um, to win. And so, you know, we'll cash the ticket. Like, that's fine, right? We'll end up, uh, you know, up on that series. Uh, that's cool. Uh, I was traveling and missed the Denver Clippers game, which I thought was actually after the Raptors game. And I thought that I was going to miss that game. <laughs> and so I found out that for some reason, the Denver game was before that. Um, you know, I guess that gives them three hours extra rest if, if that series had closed out. It, of course, doesn't, right? Denver makes the huge comeback in Game 5. They win again yesterday in the game that no human being watched because the NFL was on. And now, all of a sudden, we've got a Game 7 on Tuesday, along with Game 1 in the Eastern Conference. So we'll talk a ton more about that uh, tomorrow. Um, but... You know, didn't play the Denver Clippers game, didn't play the Houston LA game uh, on Saturday. Uh, you know, again, hopefully, I guess the Clippers beat Denver and we get a more entertaining conference final uh, and, a, and a conference final that we can kind of bet both sides on game to game, right? It'll be close to a pick em, which would be a lot more interesting than trying to figure out whether Denver is going to cover eight points against the Lakers every game. Um, baseball, um, not a ton to talk about because, again, it was kind of off the radar what, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday when it comes to baseball. Got back in on Saturday, um, caught a big winner with the Blue Jays over the Mets. Never understood why that number was at one point plus 170. Uh, I don't know, like, I don't really, I honestly got, I don't know who they thought was starting um, for the Blue Jays. But Robbie Ray, while not great necessarily, is at least a professional. Um, and against the Mets, plus 170 didn't make any sense. That being said, uh, I do fall victim to two uh, extra innings roulette games. Uh, always feel like you're 
well, when you're when you got the underdog, you feel pretty good uh, about going to extra innings, and then when you've got the home team, you feel good about going to extra innings. And in neither case does that work out. Um, so you sort of shrug your shoulders. That's fine. Lost a unit on baseball, uh, but we'll be back again this week, and in part because we've got some implicit betting action here with a couple of series that I'm really excited about. And this is, feels like pennant race type baseball stuff. Maybe not to you, because if you don't have these bets going, um, but if you've been following the show long enough, you probably should. Uh, but San Diego, uh, plus 700 to win the division. They are two and a half back of the Dodgers with a three-game set at home against the Dodgers. And essentially, a lot of that's going to come down to the opener here. Right, we've got Kershaw going for the Dodgers here against Lamette with the Padres, and if he can beat Kershaw and get this thing into within one and a half, with you know the other guys still left to go here, I know that the Padres have Paddock scheduled for Wednesday's game. If you can get this thing to one and a half after tonight, that's going to really kick up the juices here uh, in this in this in this pennant race, right? And I know this sort of doesn't really matter all that much, especially since the Padres are going to be pretty, I think, a top favorite here. Um, they're literally, a, you know, second or third favorite in the market. But even from a seeding standpoint, right, they're going to be like the number four seed. And I don't know that there's all that much difference between the five and the eight. Of course, we have Padres for the National League as well at, uh, what, 25 to 1. So all of this stuff sort of matters here. Um, they cleared their win total, by the way, yesterday. 30 and a half gets there with two weeks left to go. Uh, so we love that about the Padres. So super interesting there. And then there's a four-game set. I guess it's not a set. It's a four-game series um, between Minnesota and the Chicago White Sox, right? Cleveland has sort of tripped and fallen uh, with a six-game losing streak here to now make this AL Central battle a two-horse race. And I realize, like, there's the most likely possibility here that these two teams just split these four games and Minnesota continues to be one back as they play separate opponents the rest of the way uh, unless they play each other again, which I'm actually not sure of. I doubt, um, but you know, one back uh, with four against the White Sox here. Barrios going for Minnesota night against Seas, I think is how you pronounce that. Um, and so he's the favorite, right? So Minnesota's the favorite in the first game uh, of this series. So I hope that they get it done tonight. Uh, just a handful of other games, including a bunch of double headers. Feels like this was a spot in the schedule where they kind of left it pretty wide open for a lot of teams uh, in case we got into some a COVID scheduling jam up, which certainly ended up being the case because the Cardinals are playing a doubleheader. So uh, basically we've got, uh, you know, a handful of games. And if there's anything outside of those two series, right, I'm going to let those series just sort of figure themselves out as far as not betting uh, individual games in those series. Um, but if there's anything else, I will tweet that out, as you know, at MRussAuthentic. Uh, and then finally from this past weekend, college football, worth mentioning, right, tweet it all out, went really well, eight and five, um, as we sort of ramp up here, uh, did totally screw up the round robin money line parlay. For one, I only had four teams, which isn't a screw up necessarily. I just couldn't find a fifth because there just isn't enough games to throw in there. And, you know, it's sort of based on like the same, it's the same thing as the NFL one, right? You put five or in this case, four teams together and you round robin them by threes and hope one of, you know, three actually hit and we can make money, and if somehow four hit, or in the case of the five teams, you know, all five hit, and we're making it rain, um, three out of the four win, and we did it, 
We got it right. Problem is, I got a little too cute and I went first half money line because I, you know, the thinking behind that is especially in college football, especially with all of these teams that we were fading, having not played a game yet, that they would start slow, right? Like the Kansas State would start slow against Arkansas State, that maybe Arkansas State would have a lead at halftime and then Kansas State would come back and blow them out late, that kind of thing. That's not how it worked. <laughs> That's not how it worked at all. Arkansas State has an awesome second half. Really enjoy that team. Going to bet on that team a ton this season. Um, and they end up coming back after being down at halftime. They basically shot themselves in the foot throughout the first half. And so they certainly were, it was certainly possible that they would win the first half based on the, you know, what happened with the game. But, you know, they didn't and they got it together in the second half and they won the game outright. And so... You know, that happened again with the second leg. Uh, and then the third leg, Coastal Carolina, goes up 21 nothing early on and was cruising. And so I should have been, had my feet up, had that money line cash. So for all of this talk about like who's good at this, who's not good at this and whatever, you know, again, I will give out positive expected value bets, right? I will lead you there, but I will trip on my own, right? I don't need anybody's help to screw this stuff up sometimes. And so uh, a really good college football day that was up about three and a half units for me uh, could have been really spectacular Saturday uh, in the same way that if I just stuck with the Jags come Sunday, a really great Sunday could have been a really, really great Sunday in the NFL. So again, for all of this, like this guy stinks at this and blah, 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 blah. I still screw things up all the time and I should just trust my instinct. Point is, at least the instincts are there and the analyst and analytics and the analysis is all there. And so that's kind of all I can really tell you. So we'll be back for more college football this coming weekend, talking about that later on in the week, uh, getting a few more teams in the mix here. The SEC is joining the party, so that's going to be really fun. Um, so NBA stuff. Um, should have a guest tomorrow for the NBA. Hoping to have a guest on Wednesday for, and you're not going to believe this, there's a golf major happening next weekend. So if you thought this weekend was insane, uh, you know, we're replacing the Safeway Open with a little thing called the U.S. Open. So hopefully uh, we'll have a guest on Wednesday for that. If not, uh, of course, you're going to talk a ton about it nonetheless. Um, and then Thursday, Friday, right, going to be pretty football focused. And, and by the way, we'll probably have an NHL Stanley Cup final preview in the mix too so i mean you know who knows who knows what's gonna happen but we're having the time of our lives out here so hopefully you enjoyed this show per usual i'm at mrus authentic on twitter subscribe rate review the podcast please until next time i'll see you at the window